Well, if you would, take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 52 to start out with. Uh, now, I know I read a lot of Scripture when I preach. I, I heard a pastor this morning on TV, and, he's, and he, was, he only read two little Scriptures, you know, and he's like, well, I didn't mean to read so much Scripture. I'm like, <laughs> who can say it better than God, right? So I do read a lot of Scripture when I preach, but I'm a teacher by nature. I mean by my calling and gifting, so I can't help that. But, so bear with me as I go through this, because I want to expound on it as we read. And, I, and I, I hit information overload in my studies this week. So I started doing some study on history. Man, any time you go into history, oh, my goodness. Because while this empire has reached supremacy in all of the different cause and effect and how they interconnect and the commerce that they had back and forth, and you start studying the history and trying to tie in all the dates and everything, all of a sudden your brain just goes tilt. Well, I went there this week because I was studying on the Assyrian Empire, and I learned some fascinating things about the Assyrian missionaries. I had no idea. The first and the oldest church in the world was planted by Thomas, of course, and uh, one of the disciples, and Thaddeus and, and Bartholomew, they went into Assyria. And the Assyrian missionaries took a loaf of bread, a cross, and a Bible and went around the world. I, I didn't know that. They won souls in China and Japan and Indonesia. I mean, they went all over the place. So it's pretty impressive uh, history. But anyway... I was trying to learn why did Isaiah refer to the Antichrist as the Assyrian. So I'm digging deeper into that. If you found your place in Isaiah chapter 52, now you'll see he says awake twice there. Anytime you see something repeated in the scripture, it's being said with emphasis. Like, Lord, Lord, he's like screaming it, Lord. So he's saying basically, wake up, awake, awake. Put on thy strength, O Zion. I was reading this to Jeannie this week. She said, well, that's the joy of the Lord. I was like, that's good, honey. I'm going to put that in my notes. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Put on thy strength, O Zion, your joy. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. She said, well, that's the garments of praise. The Bible says we put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. For henceforth, or from this time on, there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Now, what that's talking about, and I pointed this out last week because I'm recapping a little bit from last week. The circumcised, when you cut the flesh so that blood flows, you're entering into a blood covenant with God. The unclean are those that's not been set apart unto holiness or sanctified. The word sanctified just means set apart unto holiness. So what he's saying is from this point on, in all of Israel and in the city of Jerusalem, no one will come into Israel or Jerusalem that is not in covenant with God and that has not been sanctified, set apart into holiness. That's never happened in history. So this is futuristic prophecy. Verse 2, it says, shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down. So whether you're standing or sitting, O Jerusalem, Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Now, what is a band on your neck? We sing a song talking about breaking the shackles. But I see it also, and the Bible refers to the band on your neck as the yoke. So we put a yoke on an oxen to control it. Well, Satan puts a yoke on you to control you. 
So does Jesus. He says, learn of me, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when you put his yoke on, he pulls the load for you because he put an old ox beside a young ox and the old, old ox would pull the load and sometimes he'd drag the young ox along with him because he's teaching this young ox. But Satan doesn't put a yoke on you to make your life easy. He puts a yoke on you to, to, to control you and to hold you back and to hold you down. Verse 3 says, For thus saith the Lord, you sold yourself for naught, and ye shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord God, my people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what have I here? In other words, that's what's going to happen then, but what's going on right here and right now in the present? What have I here, saith the Lord? that my people is taken away uh, uh, for naught. They that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord, and my name continually every day is blasphemed. Therefore my people shall know my name. Now listen, that's not talking about just saying, oh yeah, God's name is Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh. His name is Yahweh. Many different definitions of who he is in the name that they referred to him as. Oh, yeah, his name is Jesus. No, it's not just giving mental ascension to his name. What he means is my people will know my name by a personal encounter with me. They're going to know my name have an intimate working knowledge of who I am. Therefore, he says, they shall know in that day. Every time you see that in the Old Testament, it's referring to the end times particular to the tribulation period more, more often than not. They will know in that day that I am he that does speak. Behold, it is I. Now, last week we talked about uh, the Assyrian. The message was simply entitled the Assyrian because just before Moses stepped into, onto the stage, the children of Israel had been welcome in Egypt, and God had sent them there to sojourn there. And while they're there, Isaiah said, the Assyrian oppressed them. Because they went from being welcomed to being despised. Because up until this time, the Egyptians thought of them as a blessing. They understood that had it not been for the Hebrew children, they would have starved to death. They were going to have seven years of famine and nothing in, res in, in reserve. Because they wouldn't have stored anything. It was all because of Joseph interpreting the dream of Pharaoh that they stored up grain for seven solid years in preparation for this. And they remembered that. Exodus chapter 1 7, verse 7 says, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly great and the land was filled with them. Because Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. All right, he was 28 years old when he was in prison and prophesied and, and interpreted the dream of the baker and the, and the, the butler. All right, so he's been in prison a long time. It will be two more years before Pharaoh has his dream. He's 29 years old. He was 27 when he interpreted the dream, 29 years old when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And then when he came into power and, and he became the, the most, second most powerful man in the world. So th the next seven years, then can you imagine for seven years, they, the, Pharaoh's probably was like, well, we got an abundant crop this year, abundant crop this year, abundant crop for seven years. And then all of a sudden, bam, 
just as it was foretold, the drought hit. And again, and again, and again. Two years into that drought, Pharaoh's, uh, Joseph's dad came and his family came to, uh, to um, Egypt and he, he take, took care of them. He died at 110 years of age. So this was somewhere around 1500 B.C., but the ten tribes of Israel was taken captive around 722 B.C. So there's a big span between the Assyrians and the Egyptians. And we established last week that when Isaiah referred to the Assyrian, he was not an Assyrian. And it was an Old Testament prophecy of who the Antichrist, uh, the Antichrist spirit. Now, Joseph was a type of Jesus. Pointed that out last week. Just like he left his father, he became a slave that he might save his people. Uh, Exodus 1.8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So Isaiah called him the Assyrian. All right. Verse 50, uh, Isaiah 52, verse 4. For thus saith the Lord, my people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. So we established that this man was not an Assyrian because it was too much of a time span. Let me move on. The spirit of Antichrist was at work in this new king. And we also pointed out in 1 John that the Antichrist is already at work in the world. 1 John 4, verse 1 through 3, if you weren't here, it says, Beloved, be not, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, everybody say Christ. All right, that's not Jesus' last name. All right, that is a title, and it means the anointed one with his anointing. All right, it means the anointed one. He has the anointing with his anointing. That's what that word actually literally means. Any spirit that confesses that Jesus, the anointed one, with his anointing, has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, the anointed one, with his anointing, has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. And I told you last week, in fact, that spirit has been in the world since the garden. All right. Since the garden. Because let me just jump ahead and tell you the anointing is the active presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's always present. Remember, Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Everywhere you go, I will be with you. He is omnipresent, but he's not always active. When the anointing comes, the Holy Spirit goes into action. So the anointing is the active presence of God's Spirit. All right. Now, this new king, this Assyrian, it says he knew not Joseph, so he moved against the children of God. And I emphasized last week that any nation that forgets the Lord, they will be judged. Yes. That should serve as a warning to every nation, and particularly to America, that was founded on the Judeo-Christian principles. Also, I pointed out that they need the righteous because if it weren't for the righteous, uh, 
We, we read that. It's the, the, the lawless one is already at work. Only he that restrains will restrain until he's taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed, the son of perdition, whom the Lord will consume with the fire of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. It said he will be the working according to the power of Satan, that he will stand in the temple of God declaring that he is God. And then God is going to put a whooping on him. Amen. Yes, sir. I, old Southern term. He's going to pop the top on a bottle of beat down. Amen. So we need to be warned. Isaiah is making reference to this in the prophecy concerning Israel and the end times. Now, this morning, I want you to look with me again at Isaiah chapter 10. If you'll back up in, your, in the book of Isaiah there. And I'm, I want to preach a, a follow-up from last week on a message that I have entitled, The Broken Yoke. The Broken Yoke. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5. It says, O Assyrian. Now, again, this is the Antichrist spirit. O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. Now, God is going to describe what he is going to allow the Assyrian to do to his children, Israel, because of their hypocrisy. Verse 6, I will send him against the hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the street. So God is going to allow this Assyrian to bring judgment on the hypocritical nation of Israel. Verse 10, as my hand hath found the kingdoms of the idols, and whose graven image did excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria, shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? So what had he done to Samaria? They were taken captive, the ten northern tribes. Samaria was the capital of the ten northern tribes, were taken captive by the Assyrians. So he's telling the southern tribes, Jerusalem being the capital of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. He's like, am I not going to do the same thing to you that I did to them? Wake up. Wake up. If you're a hypocritical nation, you forget the God that, ser that saved you, established you, the judgment will come. All right. Verse 12. Wherefore, it shall come to pass. All right, that is fast-forwarding to our day and time. It shall come to pass in the last days that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion, that's Israel, and on Jerusalem, talking about what he's going to do just with the Jewish people, he said, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria. That is speaking specifically of the Antichrist himself, the man in whom this spirit will enter. All right, that spirit's going to enter into an individual in the end time, and he will be the Antichrist personified, the Assyrian personified. And the glory of his high looks, God's going to deal with him. Now, I want you to hold your place there, and we're going to look at Zechariah for just a minute. Zechariah 14, because he talks about the same thing that's going to happen. Zechariah 14, verse 1. This is 520 B.C. This is 180 years after Isaiah has prophesied. Isaiah's prophesying around 700 B.C. So 700 years before Jesus came, he's foretelling this. Zechariah's foretelling this 520 years before Jesus came. Verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. 
for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. That grieves me right there when I hear that, church. America stands with Jerusalem today, but the day will come when not even America will stand with her. That, that, that saddens me. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant, everybody say the remnant. The remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. And in that day, there you see it again. It's all through the Old Testament. Referring to the tribulation. In that day, his feet, I love this, man. I, I can't help it. I get excited every time I read it. In that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two from the east to the west, making a very great valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half towards the south. Then you shall flee from the, the, flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach from Azel. Yes, it shall reach. You shall flee as you fled of the day of the earthquake during the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Look at your neighbor and says, that's you. That's talking about you and I, church. Because he comes with the saints. That's us. The word saint just means those that's been set apart unto holiness, sanctified. That's where they get the word saint from. That's us. We're going to have a ring side seat to see his feet touch down on the mountains. Of see that thing split in two and a river start flowing of living water from one sea to the other. Oh my goodness, it gets better. Listen. <laughs> Verse 5, then you shall, flow. Oh, I read that. Verse 6, and it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The light will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time, it shall happen that it will be light. Why? Because the light of the world has just set foot on planet earth, terra firma. Now, just a picture of this. Right now, I can hold my hand up, and there's a shadow right there. Just imagine there's no shadows anywhere. Because darkness is completely, totally, entirely expelled. Because the light of the world has entered into the, and he's getting ready to set up his kingdom. This is the end of the tribulation. He's getting ready to set up the millennial reign. Verse 7, and it shall be one day, which is known to the Lord, and there shall be light. Verse 8, and in that day... It shall be that the living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half towards the eastern sea and half of it towards the western sea, both in summer and winter it shall, be, it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day it shall be. The Lord is one and his name one. All right, so Zechariah's prophesying about the same thing that Isaiah's prophesying about. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 10, and I'm going to read this, and then we're going to get on here. Verse 20, Isaiah 10, verse 20. It shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped from the house of Jacob, 
That's the flight of the sun-closed woman you find in the book of Revelation. Shall no more again stay on him that smote them. In other words, he's not going to account on the Antichrist anymore. But shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. In other words, I'm going to trust in God now. Verse 21, and the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of the land. Therefore, verse 24, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod, and he shall lift up his staff against thee, like in the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him, according to the slaughter of the median at the rock of Orab, and I told you that's talking about Gideon when he destroyed the Midianites. And his rod was upon the sea, and so he lifted it up in the manner of Egypt. What is he talking about there? It's what Zechariah said. God is going to fight in that day as he fought in the day of battle. And Isaiah is saying, the same thing that I did to the Egyptian army when I stretched out the rod, the sea split, my people walked across on dry ground, the Egyptian army was completely annihilated. The whole army. And what he's saying is in that day, the enemies and uh, uh, the army of the Antichrist will be completely destroyed just like I did with the Egyptians. All right, do you see this? All right, all right you with me? Say amen. Now, last week I stopped there. I want you to look at one more verse. I saved it for this week. Verse 27. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden... That's the Antichrist, shall be taken away from off your shoulders and his yoke from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Let me say that again. The yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I feel your presence this morning. God, teach us today, Lord. Open our eyes, God. Open the eyes of the church, Lord, to see what you're trying to say to the body of Christ, Lord. God, I pray for the anointing today to give me the the ability to, to make this word clear. God, give the hearer the anointing to hear. Lord, you said sometimes we have ears to hear, but we don't hear. We have eyes to see, but we don't see, Lord. God, it's the anointing that opens our eyes and opens our ears. So send it today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul and, and John both stated that the Spirit was already at work. I read that, and I just quoted it, so I'm not going to read it again. It said, the lawless one is already at work. Only he that allows, will allow until he's taken out of the way. Talking about you and I, the church, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Then that lawless one will be revealed, the son of perdition. And John said it in John 2.18. Now, we'll read that. It says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists, those that are against anointing, all right, they have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. The Antichrist just simply means what it says, anti-against Christ, the anointing. The anointing and his 
with his anointing. So the main point, if you don't get anything else out of the message today, is you need to know that the anointing is the power that breaks and destroys the yoke of the enemy, of the destroyer. It's the anointing that does that. It's the anointing breaks and destroys the yoke. And Jesus Christ is that anointing. He is the anointed one with his anointing. John chapter 2, verse, eight, verse 18, let's read it again. Little children, you've heard this. Let's dip down to 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that, they, that none of them were of us. But you, look at your neighbor and say, that's you. Uh, look at your other neighbor and say, that's you too. But you have an anointing from the anointed one, and you know all things. All right, let's stop there in just a minute and look at it. There's they, and then there's you. All right, what's the difference? The anointing. Those that went out from us that was not of us, they were here with us, but they went out from us, because they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have abided. But they went out because they're not of us. And then there's you. What's the difference? The anointing. One is anointed, the other's not. Are you seeing this? Say amen. Church, are you seeing this? Say amen. Are you seeing this? This, this is good stuff here. Verse 27, but the anointing which you have received from him, it abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But, the same, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning things, and it is true, it is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. You see, the power that breaks the yoke is the power that was and is abiding in Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And it also abides in God's little children, he said. Little children, this anointing, it's in you. It abides in you. It's been given to you by the anointed one. He was anointed and you are too. It is the same power that was given to Jesus that ha- gave him the ability to carry out his ministry on earth. Yes. It's the same anointing that was given to him. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. That was his purpose for coming. The Assyrian, the Antichrist. Now in John, uh, in Luke chapter 4, look at this with me. Jesus has been, at this point he's been tempted by Satan, and the Bible says that Satan left him for a season. And then it says he went throughout the synagogues teaching, and he went forth in the power of the Spirit. He's 30 years old now. What about the first 30 years? Have you thought about that? There is no record of Jesus doing anything for 30 years other than when he was 12 years old, he was left behind on the day of tabernacles, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was Passover. I'm not sure which it was, but he was, it was a pilgrimage feast. And they went back looking for him, and he was in the temple, and he said, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? Twelve years old. Other than that, there's not one record of him doing anything. 
until the Spirit of God ascended upon him and the Lord says, Behold, my son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit, an anointing of the Spirit came up on him. And he went forth in the power of the Spirit. Then it says he went back to Nazareth where he was raised. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Lord's day. That's always caught my eye because if Jesus thought it was important to be in the house of God on the Lord's day. Huh? Come on. He thought it was important to be assembled together on the Lord's day. And it says, they brought him the book of Isaiah. And when he found his place, in other words, he didn't just open up and start reading. He is looking for a specific prophecy of a man who lived 700 years ago. And when he found his place, he read this. He's actually quoting Isaiah 61.1. But I'm in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who have a yoke on their neck. It doesn't say that, but that's what it means. Those that are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So let me ask you, how was Jesus able to do all the things that he did? It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him that came upon him at age 30, and he began his earthly ministry. Now, one of the Antichrist's goals is to reduce the gospel to an intellectual exercise. Just an intellectual message. Instead of an encounter with the supernatural power of God. In other words... The anointing has come. Jesus brought his world into this world and he gave it to you and to me. The power of the world to come is here. The power to save, the power to redeem, the power to heal, the power to deliver, the power to raise the dead is here. He brought it and he gave it to men. Satan doesn't want you to know that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you to preach the gospel. Every one of you, all of us, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon us, and he has anointed us to preach. Because the gospel not only redeems you, the Bible says that it teaches you. The Holy Spirit is simply this. We... we, are a conduit through which the Holy Spirit flows to do his will. That was our intention. God wants you to be a conduit through which the Holy Spirit flows to do his will. That's why he brought you in. That's why he anointed you. So again, the Antichrist's goal is to reduce the gospel to an intellectual message instead of an encounter of God's supernatural power. The Antichrist spirit will challenge the word of God by our reasoning. We reason why God will not or cannot do the supernatural in you and through you. We do. We'll we'll, we'll start to say, well, yeah, that, 
That worked somewhere else. That worked in them, but not, not now. Not in me. As a result, believers will make doctrine and reason why we are okay, just like we are. I think the most demonic, satanic doctrine in the Christian church is the doctrine of cessation. You say, what is cessation? That is the teaching that all the things that was done in the Scripture no longer happens. It has ceased with the apostles. When we read in the book of Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit, church, they're the gifts of the Spirit. He didn't go away. He came to stay, and he will not leave until the rapture of the church. In fact, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you and I that is restraining the lawless one right now. And he gives gifts unto men. There's the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the word of prophecy, tongues, yeah, unknown tongues and interpretation, miracles, healings. Those are the gifts of the Spirit, and they did not cease. Where in heaven's name do they get that? It ceased with the age of the apostle. Well, Ephesians 5.11 says, God gave to the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. The apostles, there's no such thing as an age of the apostles. We're living in the age of the apostles because we're still living in the church age. And until the church age ends, the apostle's age is not going to end. The most demonic evil teaching in the Christian world is cessation because it is an anti-anointing message. It's antichrist. It's against the anointing that has been given to you to make you a conduit through which the Holy Spirit flows to do the supernatural things of God. Every one of us. And we have been fed this lie and we have eaten it and digested and accepted it. And we make doctrine and excuses why God will not and cannot do supernatural things through those who are anointed by him to do those things. The supernatural is is tolerated if it is mentioned in the past. Past revivals, oh yeah, that was supernatural. God did that in the Great Awakening. And in the second great awakening, he did that in Azusa Street. He did it at the tent meetings in the Middle West out through the the 1930s and 40s. And and, and he did it at the Cane Ridge Revival and the Brownsville Revival. They'll tolerate it as long as it was back then, what God used to do. Or great men or women of the past, John and Charles Wesley and Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney. Evan Roberts and D.L. Moody and William Booth, Smith Wigglesworth, John G. Lakes and Jack Coe, A.A. Allen, Amy Simple McPherson, Catherine Kuhlman, Maria Woodworth Etter. Yeah, God, the anointing was on them. We'll tolerate it as long as in a faraway place. Yeah, the anointing was there. The revival was there in Wales. It was in South Korea and Toronto and Argentina and Heidi Baker in Africa. The problem is, it's never here, it's never now, and it's never in me. We can tolerate it then on them over there, but not now, not here, and not in and through me. 
the lie of the Antichrist. Many have accepted this Antichrist belief that God will not do it now. He will not do it here, and he would never, ever do it through me. So I ask you this morning, whose report will you believe? Because 1 John 2, let's read it again, verse 20 says, you, and talking to the little children, verse 18 says, little children, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. In other words, the teacher's right there with you to teach you anything that you need to know when you need to know it. He told the disciples, I will teach you in the very hour that what you ought to say. Church, I've seen this happen so many times. I've had it happen in my life. I just, I just take a step of faith and say the first word, Joe, am I lying? And all of a sudden, it's like, boom, it just starts coming. And you realize, man, you want to get your notebook out and start writing because you know that the things coming out of my mouth are not coming from me. That's the voice of God speaking through me. I just yielded myself to him. And then he wants to humble us to be little children. Don't be Mr. Because he flattens the hot shots. Come on now. All of a sudden, I'm not going to be, oh, I am Mr. So-and-so evangelist. Put up your shingle, and all of a sudden, you're Mr. Somebody. No, you're not. It's not about you. We're simply a conduit through which the Holy Spirit flows to do supernatural things. I'm trying not to go break loose speaking in tongues here because I feel the anointing. Oh, bless God. Oh, I wanted to stop and just have a shout moment. Verse 27, but the anointing which you have received from him, it abides in you. And you do not need that anyone, meaning the Antichrist, teach you. In other words, challenge this. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it's true and it is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. Jesus, the anointed one with his anointing, we abide in him. So this antichrist belief is learned by us. He teaches it to us. And it comes from the antichrist spirit. In other words, we're going to learn, we're going to receive the spiritual genetic code of our spiritual father, whoever he may be. Are you hearing me? There's people all over the world, hundreds and thousands of people that's gone into Ancestry.com and learn that the man they call Papa all their life is not their Papa. Huh? And you find out that the DNA genetic code you have comes from your biological father, whoever he may be. The same is true in the spiritual realm. Your spiritual DNA, your spiritual genetic code is going to come from your father, whoever he may be. If it is from God, we have written into our being that spiritual genetic code that with God, all things are possible. With God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Church, that's written into our DNA, our genetic, spiritual genetic code. That is what God, my Father, has taught me. The belief of the supernatural is birthed in you when you're born again of his spirit. 
But as we grow, we reason away why God does not, will not, or cannot do those things in and through us. Isaiah 10, God told those that will be redeemed, do not fear the Assyrian. Don't be afraid of him. Why? Because the yoke will be broken because of the anointing. Church, we are not those that will be redeemed. We are those that are redeemed. And we have the power to break the yoke. Why? Because we have the anointing that breaks that yoke. The question is, how do we walk in that anointing? How do we walk in it? Because I got news for you. The the yoke is broke. He said, I came to set at liberty those that are captive. Look around you, and Jesus is not standing here. He said, I'm leaving you in my stead. How am I going to do this? Through you. It's through you that I'm going to set at liberty those that are captive. How am I going to do that? The same way I did it, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So how do we walk in that? 1 John 2, 18, it says little children. Everybody say little children. He didn't say men and women. Did you notice that? He didn't say men and women. Little children, it is the last hour. And you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Verse 20, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Who has the anointing? The little children. Now, that's not literally talking about our kids running around here. It's talking about the attitude of your heart. Can you consider a child? Look at children. These kids are playing around here. I, I love kids. I always say I find them so fascinating. I'm just mesmerized by them. Your kids, when they come in, I'm like, who wants to talk to you? I'm going to talk to your kids. And <laughs> they're just fascinating. But you know the, the amazing thing about kids? Well, there's many things amazing about them. If they were, they're the most forgiving things. Me and Fuzz used to get in a fight, man. We'd be just knocking each other down. And five minutes later, we'd walk around the house with our arms on each other's shoulder. You know, kids are forgiving. But also, they just believe what you tell them. Yeah. I was telling my, my son one time, he was a little bitty fellow. He's sitting back there running the camera now. He's got a, a boy taller than he is. So we were talking about we used to ride horses on the power line. And everybody understands what that means, right? Well, we're standing there because we're looking at this power line. Well, it's a right-of-way for the high-voltage towers, the lines to go through. And he's looking up at those wires. Because in his mind, Daddy rode his horse on that wire up there. When I said I rode my horse on the power line, he meant, he thought I meant on that power line. And if I told that boy that Daddy got a horse and rode up there on that tie wire, he would have believed me. Because they just believe. Little children, do you believe what I'm saying to you? You have an anointing. Because when we grow up, we get real smart. 
Huh? And we can reason and make doctrines and excuses why what God tells us is not true. But he says you have the anointing and it's true and it is not a lie. And you can believe it. My daddy is the strongest man in the whole world. My kids knew I was the strongest man in the whole world. My daddy can beat up your daddy. Huh? Come on, somebody. Huh? Well, I got news for you. My father is the strongest in the whole world. He's bigger than the booger man. Amen? And he can do all things through you and through me because Christ strengthens us. Christ, Christ strengthens you. The anointed one with his anointing strengthens you. He's anointed you with the Holy Ghost. Matthew 18, Jesus talks about that. As they, they brought before him and he says, uh, and he, uh, verse 1, let's read it. And the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as this little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive such one little child in my name receives me. But whosoever shall offend these little ones, which believe, do you see that statement? Because everything he's talking about here is based around the fact that they just believe. They just believe. If you offend one, he says, it's better you cut off, you, you be, have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea. If you just believe. The way God's going to do this, church, is when we humble ourselves and get rid of our pride. Well, what about, what? I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to look silly. People are going to think I'm a spiritual nutcase. And listen, get, just humble yourself. It's not about you. It's not about what you look like. It's about being obedient to Christ. See, the Antichrist has no problem with you embracing Jesus apart from the anointing. He's not called the anti-Jesus spirit. It's called the Antichrist spirit. Because you see, Jesus, without the anointing, he was not just another man. He was born of a virgin. He was sinless. He was perfect. But without the anointing, he was just a man with no power. We know that because he was 30 years old. He had done nothing, nothing, until the anointing came upon him. So it's not the anti-Jesus spirit, it's the anti-Christ. He don't have a problem with people talking about Jesus. Coming to church and having their intellectual moment and, and talk about this cute little message that you can go home and you feel good, but there's no power, there's no anointing. He don't have a problem with that. Jesus, apart from the anointing, he, he would rather you just leave Jesus alone altogether. But if you're going to do the Jesus thing, that's cool. Just don't do the anointing thing. Because then you're tapping into the power of God. And can I back up just a minute and say the anointing came after he was tempted by Satan? Because I thought about that too. Sometimes the anointing comes after you've had a trial. I don't know that that's true or not, but I know that was the case with Jesus. 
And then Satan left him for a season. He went forth in the power of the Spirit. It is the anointing is what links man to the divine to break and destroy the yoke, the power of darkness. Jesus depended on the anointing. We know that's true because John 5, 19 says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say unto you, The Son of Man can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Now here's our problem. When the supernatural is not exercised, or it is buried under disappointment, we stop giving the Holy Spirit the opportunity to do the supernatural. I had a young lady come to me one time. She said, I want to pray for the sick and see them healed. I said, all right, here's what you do. Go find somebody sick and pray for them. If nothing happens, pray for them again. If you pray for them over and over, nothing happens, go find somebody else that's sick and pray for them. And if you pray for a thousand people and nothing happens, pray for a thousand and one. Because it's not about you and about, it's not about the response you get. It's about your obedience to his word. And it's about you being the conduit and giving the Holy Spirit the opportunity to do what he does. Listen, we don't command God. We don't tell him what to do. But we do give him the opportunity to do what he chooses to do by our obedience. I tell people all the time, we lay hands on you. My hands, they're like no different than anybody else's hands. We anoint you with oil. It's just all it is is olive oil. There's nothing supernatural about that oil. But the Bible says anoint them with oil, lay your hands on them, and pray. And I have enough confidence and faith in God's word to do what he told me to do. The results is never up to me. The results is always up to him. One of the greatest healing evangelists in our time was, was uh, Reinhard Bunke. Millions of people came to Christ. Thousands were healed, supernaturally healed by his, through his ministry. But he said, I've prayed for thousands of people and nothing happened. Pray for somebody else and God heals them. Because it's not up to him. It's not up to you. Not up to me. But we need to give the opportunity to the Holy Spirit to operate. If you want to see people healed, pray for them. You say, well, what if I pray and nothing happens? I ask you, what if you pray and something does happen? So whether it happens or it doesn't, it's not up to you anyway. So let's give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to use us as a conduit through which the supernatural flows because of his anointing. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach, to heal, to set at liberty. Think of it this way. The anointing is in you. It abides in you, he said, for your benefit. But the anointing is upon you for the benefit of others. How many this morning, let me ask you this question. How many this morning would love to see the supernatural power of God happen today? Huh? How many would love to see that? I mean, we hunger for that. 
All right, let me ask you this. How many would love to see the supernatural power of God operate today in you? Huh? Now, if you drew back even for a second at that concept, you've already given ear to the teaching of the Antichrist spirit. Like, oh, I want to see it happen, but I won't see it happen through you, Pastor B. You have the anointing. Pastor Joel has the anointing. Jeannie has the anointing. Mark has the anointing. It'll happen through y'all, but not, not, the, not no. the church. There's no different anointing on me that's not on you and every one of us. Same anointing, same Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, there is no big me and little you. The ground is level at the cross. It's just us. We're all the same. That's what little children are. Uh, they just get together and play. It's just us. You want to play? Kids, come up. You want to play? Man, we need to get in the Holy Ghost. So you want to play? Let's go out and break a yoke somewhere. Go break a yoke. Be a conduit. Give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to do something. You don't have to have any fancy prayers. Just God help them. And how, how hard is that? God help them. I think sometimes, I heard, I don't know if I read in a book or somebody told me, or these children, the way they prayed, this person needed a liver. And this was their prayer. Say, God, go into your storehouse where you keep all your livers and give them one. Now, this is the way kids think, you know. Man, if you want somebody with some faith, get a child to pray for you. Because they just believe God will do it. So don't get the idea God will always do it in a faraway place or in the past or in other people. But he'll not do it here now or through me. Let's listen and learn from the anointing. He said, it is in you, it abides in you to teach you that this is true and not a lie. It's in you, it abides in you to teach you that this is true and it is not a lie. We've been anointed by the Holy One. This is a message Satan doesn't want you to know. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you because he has anointed you to preach the good news. The good news is God is here to heal. He's here to save. He's here to deliver. He is here to redeem. He is here to open the eyes of the blind, to set at liberty those that are captive. It is here. That's the good news. And how is he going to do that? He's going to do it through the body of Christ the anointed ones that abide in him. Amen? Amen. Father, take this word now and give it life, oh God. Jesus, give it life in us, Lord. And Father, no matter what the results, Lord, I pray that people will step out in faith, Lord, and just be a conduit. Lord, they will just simply obey your word. And Father, someone who needs prayer, Lord, just pray for them. Not giving concern of whether it's going to work or it's not going to work or how am I going to. None of that, Lord. Just do what you said to do. Just pray for them. If they just simply say, God, help this person. God, they need you. Lord, help them. They need your help. In Jesus' name. Just that simple, Lord. But help us. No matter how, how sophisticated the prayer might sound or how simple it might sound, Lord. 
Just help us to be obedient, to step out in faith, and give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to do the supernatural, Lord. Because that's why you anointed us in the first place. God, I pray that you forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've made excuses, Lord, the time that we've believed the lie of the Antichrist spirit, Lord, and thought, well, you couldn't do that now. You can't do that here. You're not going to do that through me. Forgive us, God, for our doubt and our disbelief, Lord, because we know that, God, that limits what you do, Lord. Even Jesus said he could do no mighty works in Capernaum because of their doubt and disbelief. So, Father, forgive us for doubting, Lord. Father, I pray that faith would rise up in us, Lord, that we could trust you and believe you, Lord, that supernatural things are going to happen. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You got a word? Come on. could start and what could our country look like if we all yielded yeah. to him yeah. and let his name be lifted high. Yeah. Amen. 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 Father, I, I was just reminded when, uh, when I'd first come into my faith at about 50 years old and, and uh, I remember my son was in and out of trouble and he was he was kind of, you know, we were both kind of 
finding our way to the Lord and, and he had come to stay with us for a little bit, but he was taking the bus back to the coast and, and I'd driven him to the bus station and I, I remember I, we got out of the car and he was gonna get on the bus and, and I remember so clearly and, and I, I took his hands, my dear son, you know, by this time he's like 25 or so and I said, I wanna pray for you and he's like, yeah. And we're, we're both holding hands I'm looking in his eyes and I, I'm convinced that Satan stole my words and I stared into his eyes and he stared back at me waiting for the prayer. And we stood a few more minutes and the words didn't come out. And we dropped hands and he got on the bus and you know of course I'm praying you know when I'm back at home and praying by myself but but friends you gotta start somewhere. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. It was a start. We held hands and we said we're going to pray. And Satan might have taken my words, but he knew what was in Mama's heart. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Be brave. Oh, just you know, like you said, I'll pray. I'll pray for you. That's enough. Bam. It's done. Hallelujah. Just you got to start. There's places to start. Tiny steps. Lord, help us so much. Thank you. Amen. 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 Let me just say, let, he said, don't be afraid of the Assyria. You're going to be redeemed. He's talking to the children of Israel. You're going to be redeemed. And it's the anointing that's going to break the yoke. Now let's fast forward that to right now, right here. You don't have to be afraid. You're already redeemed. You're what he's talking about. Israel's going to be now. You are that now. And the anointing that you have breaks the yoke. So if the anointing is going to do it, it's not up to me. The results is not up to me. So I don't have to be afraid. I need to go out in peace. Yes. Now, I've done this enough that I've kind of gotten beyond the in inhibitions to say, can I pray for you? Because, guys, I, even though I'm the pastor and everything, and I get up here and shout and yell at you all the time, there was a time when I was just like you. I was like, me pray for somebody? Jeannie could do that. She's, she is the boldest person I know. She walked right up to a stranger and started talking to him. When we first got married, I didn't talk to anybody but her. She talked to somebody. I was like, do you know those people? No. I said, well, why are you talking to them then? Because that just didn't click with me. You know, If I didn't know you, I didn't talk to you. But to, to just offer... And, and I've done this total strangers, you know, and I was like, well, I'd like to pray for you. If you don't mind, I said, is there something I can pray about, you know? Pray with you. I don't say for you because sometimes they're like, you're praying for me. You think something's wrong with me? <laughs> I'd like to pray with you. Is there something you need prayer about, you know? And there was a day I couldn't do that. But church, what I'm telling you is you can have a peace because he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Give the Holy Spirit that opportunity. Like Kathy said, you got to start somewhere. And I always shake hands. Can I shake your hand? This is the way I pray for people. 
Because you stand your hand out, most people are going to take your hand. I'm sorry, my hands are cold. They're always like that. People will take your hand normally, am I right? And I'll get their hand, I just won't let go of it. I say, can I pray for you? Pray with you, you know? It's like, yeah. And then I'll just pray. And, and listen, it doesn't have to be complicated. Say, so what's your name? You know, just take your hand. Say, can I pray? What's your name? Nancy. Lord, just bless Nancy. I'm telling you, phew. I've seen the presence of God come into that setting so many times. I told you about this guy. I'm buying a car from him in the street in front of his house. I'm like, well, before we leave, we'd like to pray with you. Is that okay? He's like, sure. And I said, what's your name? I took his hand. Am I right, Jeannie? That guy was down on the street like this. He, was, he, he couldn't even stand up. He was weeping so hard. The presence of God just fell in that street right there. Not because I'm anything, God, guys, it's not because of me. Because I just opened the door as a conduit to give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to do the supernatural. Yes. Amen. Yes. Are you all right, honey? Yes. You all right? Yeah. Lord, bless her. Bless her, Lord. Yes. Father, in Jesus' name, bless her, Lord. Bless her, Lord. Every one of us can do that. And you know, I, I just, wouldn't you love to come in here on a, on a Sunday morning and somebody come up and said, I'd like to share a testimony. Pastor, I did what you said. I went and I prayed for this guy and all of a sudden the power of God fell and I saw God just heal him or set him free or uh, cast a demon out, just something. I don't know what. And see God begin to move just supernaturally simply because we just give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to show up and show off. Amen. And like Megan said, to establish his name and who he is in the land. Because I found some little children that will just obey me and believe me. And just do the simple thing that I've asked them to do. Because I put that anointing on them that I put on my son. I believe God can do that. I believe he wants to do that. This message is going all around the world. This is not just for us. This is for the church, the body of Christ. Let's be the conduit for the Holy Spirit once again to usher in these last days. Maybe it is a great revival coming. I'd like to be a part of that. Amen. Father God, we ask that you give courage and boldness to the body of Christ, Lord, to step out and do what you commanded us to do, Lord. Father, give us the inhibition that children have. Lord, they'll walk up to another kid they've never even laid eyes on before and say, do you want to play? They don't care what color they are. They don't care how big or small they are. They just, they just see another kid and they come up and say, do you want to play? God, I pray that you would give us that kind of boldness, Lord. To approach people, Lord, and be your hands and your feet and your eyes, your mouth and your ears, Lord. Maybe sometimes we just need to listen. Sometimes people just need somebody to talk to. But Lord, I just believe that if we will open ourselves, God, you will teach us in the very hour what we should do, what we should say, 
Lord, how, how we should act, Lord. So God, send your anointing, God, in a powerful way, Lord. The active presence of your spirit, Lord. Holy Ghost, go into action through the body of Christ. In Jesus' name. Hunter, take us to the throne, brother.
this is the Holy Spirit or not, but I just felt impressed to do this. I just pulled the cork out of your conduit. Amen. Come on. I want you to go out this week and find an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to flow through your conduit. Amen. Amen. How many is going to do that? I'm going to find an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit flow through me. Because the cork is out of the conduit, go break a yoke, amen. I started to have prayer and pray for people. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I want you to pray for each other. Because I want you to see that God can use you to do the supernatural. Because the Holy Spirit's in you to do that, amen. Father, we thank you for our time together, Lord. I pray for the body of Christ, Lord, that we be obedient to you, God. Be little children, Lord, and obey your word. God, just do it, Lord, just do it. Just believe it and do it, Lord. And God, we know that if we will do that, Lord, you'll show up and do your thing, God. Holy Spirit, just show up and show off your work, your power, God. And Lord, when it happens, not if it happens, but when it happens, Lord, help us, Lord, to humble ourselves and realize that wasn't me. That was just simply me being obedient and nothing more. And give all the glory and all the credit and all the honor and all the power to you where it belongs. Now, Lord, I speak a blessing over the body of Christ, Lord. I bless every home that is represented here today, Lord. May it be a refuge, Lord, an escape from the world. And, Lord, most importantly, may it be a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome. Now, strengthen the family, husbands and wives, parents and their children, siblings, one with each other. Lord, I pray a special prayer for those that are walking their journey alone and they're looking for their mate, God. Cause their paths to cross, Lord, that they can find each other, Lord. And that person that is satisfied just living their life with you, God. Lord, you be their comforter, Lord. You be their mate, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Go out and do something for Jesus. Amen.